Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Talking to Trailblazers. I'm Jack Corbett, founder of ISR Training. Now, I'm thrilled to be involved in this brand new project with Business News Australia because the publication's owner and founder, Camilla, gave me the privilege of picking who's going to be interviewed first. And it didn't take me more than a couple of really quick seconds to decide that Boutran, the co-founder of the e-learning scale-up One, was the right person to kick off with. And the main reason being is he's just a massive inspiration to me. Originally uh, a GP by trade, he decided to found an online training company with uh, three mates, Andrew and two Chris's, with an offering that has evolved over time and has now been integrated with Microsoft Teams. GoOne has completed several really high-profile capital raises over the last few years, including a 40 million US dollar raise in their Series C, led by Seek and Madrona Venture Group. But this conversation isn't just about investor name dropping. I speak with Vu in depth about the fascinating times that we're living in right now, where remote selling and learning has become more acceptable than ever before. I started by asking him how he and GoOne are dealing with these challenging times. I'd be lying if I said if I said that. Yeah, it's all fine. It's been fantastic. It, it's been a roller coaster ride, and I know that's a really cliche thing to say at these times, but it really has. Um, obviously, we've had a lot of great news recently around some of the work that we've done, but change has affected everybody. You know, no matter how well things are going or how badly things are going, change in itself is 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 disruptive. It's part, it's part of the nature of disruption. So, from our perspective. Um, I've been really proud of my team. If I, if I can say one thing that's really come out of what's happened over the last few months is I really do recognise that in Australia we've been really infor- really fortunate to be in the position we are, but we've got staff all over the world in the US and UK as well. But as a whole, as a team all over the world, I'm just really proud of my team. I, I think if, it, if, if this has done anything for me, it's made me even prouder of of, of the team, how we've rallied together and how we've been able to push through and adapt to changes. And I know that's not just in Go One. I know that's in companies all over Australia, all over the world. So I think that's the biggest outtake for me. Um, it has not been a smooth ride. You know, I, I, I've gone from uh, having to be in a lot of places at the same time mm-hmm. to suddenly being in the one place for a long time. Yeah. And I think that's got its, its benefits and its downsides. For sure, because when I first ever met you, it was like different city every day. You know, I don't think you knew what time zone you were on. You had that many um, frequent flyer miles building up. I think it was starting to get to the point you were never going to pay for another flight again. But how do you feel country on country, having a business in, uh, say, Singapore, Vietnam, US, the UK, how do you think we as a country, Australia, economically, are faring up against others at the moment? Look, um, if I talk, talk about us as a business, um, you know, we, like every other business, we've, we've, we've seen the impacts of coronavirus or COVID-19 in terms of um, the impact. we're a B2B company. So at the end of the day, what happens to other businesses in our economy or economies all over the world does impact us. Uh, the flip side of it is that we're very fortunate in that the nature of our business means that being able to work remotely, but also the product that we deliver being remote actually allows us to con- to actually be quite suited to these new times. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, to your question of kind of what am I seeing in Australia compared to the rest of the world, I, I think Australia, Australia has been very fortunate from a sort of a healthcare point of view. 
um, in terms of the low amounts of infection and mortality that's been associated with it. But I don't think we've been immune from the economic impacts. Um, you just have to look at the massive amount of stimulus that the government has had to put in place to be able to support businesses of all kinds to be able to continue in some way or form, to be able to support welfare and the people who are going to need to be able to get through these periods as unemployment goes up. So I'm not an economist, um, but what I will say to you is that Australia isn't and hasn't been immune. I think, though, that the... Low, the less um, substantial health impacts that coronavirus has had on our country means that we may potentially bounce back a little bit better than other countries. And, and that, that for me, it's not necessarily being the impact. It's more about how we're going to bounce back. And I'm very positive that we'll bounce back based on the success that we've had so far. Adaptability, pivoting, change enthusiasm. These are things that we often are the buzzwords that come out of the appropriate literature, but saying them and doing them are two completely different things, right? And I think what I've loved about watching you guys is the old, when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going. And instead of going like a clam back into your shell, as a matter of fact, your business did the opposite, right? And through the entire face of adversity, you said, no, we must continue this growth trajectory. Um, how do you maintain that confidence? Now, what I'm about to say, I want to, be, I want to have taken in the right way, right? I think it was Churchill who said, never waste a good crisis. And that's not about, it's not about capitalizing on opportunities of misfortune. Like this is a terrible thing that's happening at the moment. But it's about saying with the opportunities at hand, with the resources that we have, we have a choice. We can make sure that we focus on the uh, opportunities we have strong confidence in based on the environment that we're in. Or you can become very defensive, as you said, and try and just survive. Yes. Now, you're, you guys are a startup. We're a startup. We don't create these companies to just survive. No. We create these companies to be able to thrive. So at the end of the day, for me, it's, you know, I'm also responsible for hundreds of families, you know, and the livelihoods of hundreds of people. So it's really important that the decisions we make aren't blasé, that we're not cowboys, yes. but it's really important that people came on board and joined this company, joined the company that I love and, and have been part of since the beginning. Um, they joined us to be able to achieve a vision and a goal. Yes. And so we'd be doing people a disservice if we did kind of batten down the hatches and, and kind of, you know, board up the windows. Sure. But we can't do that in a manner that would be irresponsible of us because, you know, families rely on us for their livelihoods. Sure. So from my perspective as a founder, it's important that we are steadfast in our vision, but we're sensible in how we execute. And that's regardless of whether or not we're in, uh, you know, challenging economic times or we're in amazing economic times. We still got to be smart with what we do. But, you know, I think you'd agree with me, mate. We don't get into startups to be able to create a business that isn't going places. Absolutely. Now, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's a great quote from, from Churchill, never waste a good crisis. And I think it might have been Kennedy that had said that the word crisis written in Mandarin, if you separate the symbols, represents the word danger and opportunity. That's really what a crisis is. It's a dangerous opportunity. And it depends. Do you want to focus on the danger, the threat? Or do you want to focus on the opportunity or the platform from which you can now pivot and, and become the next best version of yourself? And I, and I think you've just hit the nail on the head. Evolution occurs, like I've got a firm belief that evolution occurs due to adversity. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like, you know, it, you're a creature who survives in a tough environment and you will thrive as that environment grows, right? 
if you're if you're one that's able to thrive in a tough environment, when the good times get better, you'll be even better set. So I think for me, you know, you mentioned pivot before. You know, you, there are a lot of great companies that you have heard about who have one area, one industry to another, etc. But my, my two cents that it comes back to is that, you know, I, I've been asked a lot, should I pivot my company? Should I change tack to go this way? When I talk to friends, because we've got lots of friends in the startup world. And I can't, like every company is so unique and different. But what I've also recommended to people, and it's what we've done, is instead of trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, you know, change direction and suddenly you've got go one hand sanitizer, right? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is it's about double down, doubling down on the opportunities that you are sure mm-hmm. are going to get you through this and potentially get you through it afterwards. You know, I look at it this way. If you're a company that's looking to sell overseas, now is probably the best time to think about how you do that. Yes. Because remote selling is more acceptable than it's ever been before. Completely agree with you. So, you know, potentially if I'm a company that's thinking about going to the US, UK or wherever it might be, where previously I need boots on the ground to do it. Yes. Because we're all doing Zoom calls right now. Sure. Could be anywhere who, in the world. Who cares if I'm doing it from the Gold Coast at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know? And, and, and I think that that's the opportunity. Like, so rather than think of how do I pivot and change my business, it's how do I potentially take advantage of the opportunities at hand and think differently. For sure. And I think it was, um, I was reading something from Rydell where he said, a pivot is a change in strategy without a change in vision. That's it. That's The vision's never changed. I'm still going to the same place. I'm just using a slightly different road or vehicle to take me there. You're, you've hit the nail on the head there, mate. Like it's, I, I think, you know, as founders, we're very steadfast in what we want to achieve and what our vision is. Yes. And I think it's really important that we, we either stick to that or we change our vision completely. For sure. We can't have one foot in, one foot out. No, because you did say to me you're not an economist, which I respect, but you are a doctor. So yes. when talking medical things, that, that becomes a little bit more acceptable. So from your background, um, I find all four of you fascinating because you've all got these weird and wonderful talents that have kind of meshed together and have now created what is very close to becoming a global dominating force in its field, you know? So um, talk to me a little bit about the four individuals that founded this business, the background and how eventually they all butted heads and, and go one was created. I, I always start this off with, I love my job. And the reason why I love my job is because of the people I get to work with. Yes. And I mean that in terms of my broader team, in terms of the people that we have all over the world, who I get the privilege to work with in, in, in a day-to-day basis. But the other reason why I love it is because I get to run this company with my best mates. And, and that for me is, you know, that I'm, I'm throwing cliches at you left, right and centre, but it's not work when you enjoy it this way. You know? um, what you read in the newspapers, what you read in these publications is all these great things that happen in Go One and all these milestones we achieve, right? Fantastic. But you know yourself as a business owner, for every win, you've probably got 50 roller coaster rides that you're going through where you're going up, down, around, sideways and upside down. Yeah. And for me, I would have, I would, these, the three guys, Chris, Chris and Andrew, who, who have been on this journey with, I would, I wouldn't have anyone else on this journey with me because it hasn't been when the times are good where it's been great being around them. It's been when the times have been terrible and difficult where it, it really showed me how, how, how lucky I am to be part of the team that I am. You mentioned that we're very diverse and we are. Um, Chris Aigland and Andrew, uh, went to high school with me and Chris Hood joined us a little bit later. Uh, 
all in Queensland. We're all Queenslanders. Yes, right now the, there should probably be a state of origin match on this week, but no, nope, we got to wait to see it. We're all very proud Queenslanders. Um, you know, Andrew, our CEO, he's my best mate and he's probably the smartest person I'll ever get the privilege of working with or meeting. And I, and I don't say that lightly. Yes, I'm biased because he's my best mate. But, um, you know, he's an economist. He's a Rhodes Scholar, you know. Uh, and so, you know, while we were doing all this, he went to Oxford when, you know, when we were in university. He said, oh, look, I've got this Rhodes Scholarship. And I had to Google what a Rhodes Scholarship was. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, Prime Ministers and Bill Clinton are Rhodes Scholars. And I thought, wow, okay, that's a pretty cool achievement. You know, uh, Chris Egland is the former Youth Ambassador of the United Nations. Um, when we were in university, he... Uh, uh, when the, the the earthquake happened in Haiti, he founded the school bag program that sent thousands of school bags to kids in Haiti during the recovery after the earthquake. And Chris Hood, who joined us a bit later on in our journey, who's our CTO, he's probably one of the best developers that Queensland's probably ever produced, you know. So we've been very lucky. It's like a bad joke. An economist, a lawyer, uh, an engineer and a doctor walk into a bar, right? <laughs> But if I can share with you, the one thing that brings us all together besides our bond and our friendship is also the fact that we love learning. Yes. It is something that truly gets us out of bed at, you know, in the morning. Yes. It's truly something that we all kind of want to be able to hang our hats on in the long term. Yes. And regardless, I'm not talking, when I say learning, I don't mean degrees and qualifications. I mean that genuine curiosity, you know, that genuine desire to want to learn more and know more. Absolutely. And so, Jack, if you ask me five years' time, Vu, where do you see yourself? What do you, what, what, what do you see yourself doing? I'm going to answer that in advance now. Yes. I don't care as long as I'm working with these guys. And I genuinely mean that, right? I'll scrub toilets if I have to. I have had to, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things where um, it, it, the day that you see me no longer wearing this T-shirt or in Go One, yes. it's the day that I no longer enjoy what I do. I get that. So at the end of the day, I love what I get to do. I love the people that I get to work with. Yes. And you, you yourself know the value of having a co-founder or co-founders yes. is incredibly powerful, not just in being able to share the good times with them, but being able to weather the bad times as well. No, I completely agree. I, I possibly made uh, the mistake, if you will, in my first two businesses, went from startup to scale up and then to um, successful exit alone. Mm. Business alone, good or bad, is a long road. And even coming home on the day when you've been able to, you know, as a young man, 21 years of age, and you've just been given a million dollars and you think, wow, I have, you know, this housing commission kid is finally making steps, but you are on your own sitting in a one bedroom apartment with a glass of Pinot, you know, thinking, how great is this? I find that good, bad or indifferent, the journey, humans, people, experiences, are what really matter. And there's times when I'm sure Vu's been having a tough time and Chris has picked him up. Chris has been having a, a tough time and Andrew's picked him up because that's what a good team is all about, right? We're, we're dropping, we are dropping a lot of cliches, but that idea that I'm only ever going to be as strong as my weakest link. And I can yep. only ever keep demanding that we work to the highest operational standard possible, working from the bottom up to bring up to that standard. And that's for me is going, don't get me wrong, I admire solo founders so much because they do something that I could never do. I understand. Yeah, I respect that too, for yeah. sure. And I, and I think, but sometimes I worry about the mental health component. I watch even, and not to name drop, but I watch even what I consider to be highly successful founders that have got an alcohol challenge. I don't want to say a problem, but an alcohol challenge or things of that nature where they're constantly needing to distract themselves 
in a different way or numb the reality of the 90 hour week and the 51 weeks a year that they're currently working, you know? So what, what is that? This word is a, a lot of people shoot me down the second I even try and bring it to the table, but in Vu Trans world, what is balance? Hard. I think, and I think it's that eternal sort of uh, quest to try and find the balance. And I think if you accept that finding a balance is always, the goalposts are always going to shift, mm-hmm. you become less frustrated in trying to find it, right? But I, I, I want to start simply. One of the biggest things that I would, I still practice as a GP once a week, once a fortnight. Yeah. And one of the things I, I, I run into still is anxiety. And I just want to touch on what you mentioned before with mental health, right? Anxiety will affect more Australians than diabetes, cough, cold, flu, broken arms, and anything else combined, right? And I, I deal a lot with it. And it, I think it's really helped me uh, deal with what I do day-to-day here in Go One as well. And it's also helped me empathize with my co-founders and my team. And when I talk about anxiety, I don't just talk about it as a mental illness. I also talk about it as a symptom of what you're experiencing, whatever it is that you may be going through. And one of the key things to know about anxiety is that it's about, most of the time, it stems back to a lack of control, right? When you get anxious over things, it's usually about things you can't control or worrying about things you can't control or related in some way to things you can't control. And as founders, in an organization, there are probably more variables that we can't control, that we're trying to control mm-hmm. than any other person with a day-to-day, nine-to-five day-to-day job, right? And particularly in our own businesses, the buck stops with us. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest challenges is that anxiety will be rife with, with, with founders and people in management positions because we're the ones who deal with the greatest degree of uncertainty. Yes, And as a result of that, I think it's just important to recognize it. And so for me, when you talk about things like alcohol and different ways to which people deal with the stresses and pressures of being a founder or a leader or a manager, the thing that I'll always come back to is about understanding that there are things you can control and things you can't. Um, One of my favorite books, and it's an oldie but a goodie, is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey. Great. That's right. And what he talks about is what's called the circle of concern and circle of influence. The circle of concern is you draw a circle and within that, it's everything that you're worried about in life, right? Cancer, World War Three, the Australian cricket team, whatever <laughs> it might be, right? And then in that circle, there's a smaller circle, which is called your circle of influence. Now, they're the things you're worried about that you can control. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to people when they're anxious or stressed, whether it be a team member within Go One or a patient who is stressed about what's happening in their lives, I draw these two circles for them. And I say to them, whenever you're worried, draw these two circles and put down what you're worried about and tell me, is it in the inner circle or the outer circle? And if it's in the outer circle, don't bury your head in the sand and ignore it. Acknowledge it and say, this is something I'm concerned about or worried about. But I also acknowledge it's something that I can't do anything about. Mm -hmm. and if it's in the inner circle great get off your backside and do something about it it. yeah and and my thing that it comes back to is the way that you deal with stress stress and anxiety is put yourself back in control Mm -hmm. and when we get really stressed is when we pick fights with things in that outer circle Mm -hmm. so my key bit of a bit of i guess bit that i want to share there is i've learned a lot medicine has really helped me do what i do in my business 
And actually working in our business has really helped me understand more and empathize more from a medical point of view, believe it or not. But the key bit I'd have there is that founders will be some of the most anxious people you will meet in the world, regardless of whether or not they show it or not. And I think as founders, I think it's about picking and choosing the right battles to actually worry over. We've only got so many hours in a day, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's too much energy is given to things that fundamentally, that if I put every ounce of my focus, I still have no ability to influence or adjust it. So at this in your wheels, accept it for what it is. Yeah. inside my circle of influence and if my inf- if I can have influence on external factors do so to the most positive position possible but if I can't I must then internalize and focus ultimately only on myself that's right and the real kicker I'll share with you is the more you focus on your circle of influence the things you can control the bigger it will grow yes yeah yeah makes sense and then all of a sudden starts to spread out into and you start world. to influence things you couldn't influence before for sure. Yeah. As you become the center of influence. Yeah. In a sense. And with your, um, I mean, I, I, I'm saying this because I'm sat here having a chat with you and you may find it still unusual. I know some people do because you still consider yourself just a normal person. I'm just boo, just this hardworking, ambitious guy from Brisbane. But man, I've idolized you since the first day I ever met you. You may not remember it because meeting me probably wasn't as important as when I, I felt like I met you. But 2008 Founders Retreat, Lake Kubi at Reflections. Um, you and I, Steve Baxter, Glenn Richards, and what was a big bottle of gin that became an empty bottle of gin very quickly. Yep. Um, we just sat and chewed the fat. And what I very quickly realized is you were different. Your brain works different. You, you see things in a more multidimensional way than I had probably ever had the ability to be exposed to. And... From that day, you guys, had, you were being a little bit secretive. I don't think anybody actually knew at the time, but you just raised nine-ish million dollars from Seek. And it was all a little bit taboo, hadn't quite hit the press, couldn't quite be spoken about. And since that day, we've gone from the Seek raise to the Microsoft raise that, that if I'm not speaking out, it was around the 30 mark. Yep. Um, then now recently into uh, the MVG raise, which I think was nearly double that again, um, meaning in two-ish small years, you guys would have raised over a, or, or close to $100 million. I don't think you're far off. Um, oof is the way that the, my mind goes. How, is, this just, is this just another day, another dollar in the go one world nowadays? Or how do you guys feel about this? I think, um, like, you know, if I can be 100% honest, like, don't get me wrong, it's something we're excited about, but it's also something that is part of our pathway. Um, and I think, you know, the, the idea of raising money is something that raising money is not success. And that's the first thing I'll point out, right? Raising money is something to help fuel your success or to ex- well, actually to accelerate your success. Mm-hmm. And so for us as a company, the things that I'm most proud of is the teams that we've built and the customers that we get to service. Mm. The capital raising allows us to build bigger, stronger, faster teams and service more and more customers. So that's the kind of the way that I view that equation. Don't get me wrong. If, if we look at it as a company that I, I don't look at the dollars, what I look at is the backing of the belief in what we do, right? To have a large ASX listed company like Seek back what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, Very validating. It validates it for us as founders to be able to say, okay, we're on the right track. Yes. To have Microsoft come along and say, well, actually, you know, um, we want to be part of this journey with you. 
it means we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. To have, you know, and Madrona is one of the one of the VCs who led this round, and not many people know who they are. Mm-hmm. But they were one of the they're one of the oldest VCs in the states. They they were the first, one of the earliest investors in Amazon. Amazon, yeah. yeah. So, from our perspective, to to have and, and Salesforce Ventures, so I don't have to talk about the Salesforce to most of this audience. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's about, actually about the organizations that are looking to back us. Yes. The money is a, is, is a, a by, uh, not a byproduct, it's a factor of it. Yes. But to be able to say, look, okay, we're, we're four dudes from Queensland and we've got this vision of what we want to achieve. And to, along the way to be able to pick up these people who are backing that vision, mm-hmm. that's what excites me. You know, and I think that's the most powerful part of it. You've been very complimentary in terms of, you know, um, you know what you mentioned before about, about how we think and those sorts of things. I think the key thing that I come back to, and I see this in yourself and anyone else, is we're just very steadfast in our belief of what we can achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that along the way, that means that you are able to get through challenges like we're all experiencing at the moment. Yes. But it also means that hopefully we can, and this may not be the wrong word, uh, this is definitely the wrong word in this setting, it becomes infectious in terms of your ability. Like the people you interact with, and I know this for a fact, mm-hmm. the people you interact with, I into what you and Ryan are doing and it becomes infectious and you, you create a movement, right? Yeah. yeah. What you guys are doing for us. Um, when we bring people on board from a customer perspective an investor perspective and in a team perspective, it helps validate what we're doing that we're going, okay, we've got it right. And we gain momentum. So to your point there, the fundraising, definitely the money is important because it fuels our growth. growth. Capital raising itself is not the success. No, it's not. And I think the, the validation helps along the way. Yeah, because you do see, and I'm sure obviously you're, you're in this world, you see a lot of people that go raise a few million bucks, spend that few million bucks, haven't improved their position. So go and raise more money. Now, if we're diluting without growth or progress, then we're not, we're actually, that's the polar opposite. We're almost, you know. One of my, definitely. Uh, one, of my key, my, one of the key principles that I definitely want to share with everyone that I, I ever meet who's thinking about getting investment is the best form of investment is revenue, mm-hmm. all right? Revenue is the best form of investment. There are some companies here in Queensland who are as is go on is and have not raised a single dollar. Yes. Right? Because they've had a great or, or an initial greatly greater ability to take their product or service, sell it to the consumer market and turn it into paid dollars. There's no That's way to raise capital. And our reason for, our reason for raising money is not just to be able to grow. It's to accelerate that growth. Yes. So what we're, you're saying fundamentally is we would go, we're going there anyway, but yes. what would have taken us 10 years will now take us four. Yes. And, that, and that's the key thing it comes back to is it, the motive behind it needs to be acceleration. Yes. It can't be about just organic growth or survival yes. because that's the, that means the business model isn't correct. For sure. For right. sure. It's all about acceleration. No, totally respect that. Definitely. And if you, obviously, I know we don't have anywhere near enough time with the last sort of 10, 15 minutes we've got left today. But if you were to say sort of couple of quick do's, couple of quick don'ts, as you're preparing a pitch deck and you're about to go and approach VCs, Australian or internationally, what are some of the biggest do's and don'ts in that space, mate? Uh, oh, I'm going to keep it really simple because obviously every company is different. Sure. I think number one is make sure that your motivation for raising money is right, as we spoke about before. Yes. And have a plan for how you're going to spend that money, right? This is our trajectory. And if we don't raise money, but if we do raise money from you, this is where we're going to go, right? Yes. But 
it's, that, that's very basic, but it's, it's true. It's, it's, I'm not raising money to be able to create an MVP and, and prove that there's a market demand for it. I'm doing it to accelerate the market demand I've already created. Yeah. Yeah. This day and age, most of us should be able to work out how to bootstrap as much as possible to be able to get up to that minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. And particularly given the current environment, where most of the money is, is, it has, has come out of the market in terms of it's not in there right now, is actually seed early stage and angel investors. Yes. So as a result of that, companies who are able to get traction early, get revenue early, uh, be able to prove and, and get a product to market early, will be able to leapfrog that area and be able to have, have more sort of uh, success raising yeah. money. And also then at that point, and you're looking, if I go to you pre-revenue, I'm going to get pick up my half a million dollars, but I'm going to lose 30 to 40%. I turn around and I've even just got the first million on the board. Exactly. It can be a half or a quarter of that in terms of equity I've got to let go. Exactly. Get runs on the board. I mean, it just, it just makes you, um, like, you know, I, I look at it. Have you watched um, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan yet? Yeah, brilliant documentary. But you look at it and you go, they talk about the fact that he got a $500,000 sneaker deal in his rookie year. Yes. It wasn't because he was an outstanding rookie that he got that deal. It's because of everything he did in college basketball and high school basketball. He had the runs on the board. He had the media. Exactly. He owned the eyes. Exactly. And that's why it was worth $500,000 in his rookie season for a shoe deal that no one else would think to do. The rest is history. Yeah. So I think one of the things that it comes back to is it's not about being this standout you know, um, player in, your rookie, in the rookie season. It was all the work that he did leading up to that. Get it. So the second thing I definitely share, and this is really important, is understand your unit economics and your fundamentals, your numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, early, from a very early stage, we really made sure we understood our numbers. Um, we really understood the levers that affected our business. Mm-hmm. And if I can leave everyone with no tip other than this one tip, it would be make sure you understand your numbers mm-hmm. instantly. And, I don't, I, I, and the things that impact those numbers, yes. whether it be your sales velocity, whether it be understanding how your conversion rates are affected in your pipeline or understanding your customer churn and the, factors, and the factors that influence that, right? If you understand those numbers, it means you have a deeper understanding of your business than the average person would at the same stage. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. Hell of a lot of sense. And I think that's something I would say to it. Again, I, I probably was naive when I first did, when I first had an opportunity to enter this world. I was a kid that was not tertiary level educated. I didn't have a huge network here in Australia. I hadn't gone to school with any, with anybody that was in, you know, the, the funding capital raising world. So I was sat watching TV and this thing called Shark Tank came on. And I'd watched Dragon's Den when I was back in the UK. So, you know, Maybe on on that feedback would be understand that a little bit of preparation and a little bit more strategy means that there isn't just one way. You haven't got to go on X Factor to get a music contract. You know, there's there's many other ways to do that exact same. Well, and actually, I'd add on to that. We need to be steadfast in our vision, but we need to be open to feedback. Yes, really important. You know, Glenn, Steve, like uh, Andrew, all these guys—they've been there, done that. You'd be silly early on not to take that advice or not to seek counsel from people who have been there and done that. They're not there to insult you. They're not there to tear you to shreds. They're there to give you honest, practical advice. And you know these guys well enough to know going to good people to give you good advice and honest advice is going to save you a lot of time, effort, money, and heartache in the long term. And also get, get your ego out of the way. Like the second you check it at the door, mate. The only reason feedback could be offensive is because you have a falsified self-worth or an emotional attachment 
to your product or service. You know, recognize people are looking at it, you know, from a third party, non-biased perspective, objectively. And I'm just telling you, this is my opinion. That's all. What you do with that opinion is ultimately up to you. But to sit in front of people who have got billion dollar companies and have exited for hundreds of millions of dollars and think that your opinion matters more, that's when I think you're on a slippery slope towards, uh, you know, a potentially... Um, I, I, think, I think they're giving you, your, you their time. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to respect that, right? Sure. And as a result of that, it's the advice that is given is definitely take it or leave it. But you'd be very silly not to process it. You'd be very silly not to take it on board in your considerations of what you want to do. Definitely. So, yeah, that's definitely the other bit of advice I'd share. Yeah. So you be open to feedback. That's awesome. I'm going to finish up with, with two questions. One of them is that I was extremely fortunate um, in by ex- obviously acceptance of, of yourself and Andrew, but then through communication with uh, Lisa Cochran. Um, first of all, big shout out to Lisa. Uh, and if you do listen to this, you're an incredible person and an amazing part of the Go One team. So thank you for the interactions we shared in early 2019. But I got invited to come to the Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne office and do a power up day where we were talking about all things effective communication and sales. And if there was one thing I found as soon as I walked into a Go One office is it had an identity. It didn't matter which office I was in. I felt like I was in the same one and it had the same vibrant culture each time, you know? So I know culture is big to you guys. Two quick tips off the top of the dome. What leads to having um, a workplace with which people are truly committed to the cause? So uh, two things and they're very related. And this is very, very high level. Um, The first one is culture is not static. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Culture evolves, right? If culture is static, you end up with a monoculture, right? So, from my perspective, I think you've got to make sure that you understand that culture will evolve, and it needs to evolve in line with the values that you have. Yes. So, I think culture is a product of values, and values are some of the things that don't change. And I think that's the first part. Yeah. To build off the back of that, I always get people talking about hiring for cultural fit. And the thing I'm going to tell you right now is don't hire for cultural fit. Mm -hmm. Again, you won't evolve. Mm -hmm. Hire for cultural contribution. Wow, okay. Yes. Nuggets of gold there, guys, if you're listening. That's incredible. Bring me someone who can help enhance my culture and grow it. Yes. Conform to it. Yeah. If you conform to it, that's great. But you end up with cliques. You'll end up with that monoculture I talk about. You'll end up with something that won't be ready for the world of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with these, these, you know, as companies grow, you hear about the old guard. Yes. Right. And, and, and they sit there and go, there is no old guard, new guard. We all evolve together. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is that culture is a product of values and values are what do- doesn't change, but culture will. Yes. And that the other side of it is that when you're hiring people, you hire them based on their values because that won't change, yes. but you also hire them based on their contribution, their ability to contribute to your culture whether it be diversity, whether it be different, you know, different ways that they, they can approach a culture and enhance it. Um, we're companies that are looking to change and evolve all the time. That should include our culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And you, you've mentioned, so in this conversation, we've had Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits. When I first met you, you gave me two amazing uh, books, Aaron Ross, Predictable Revenue, Gino Whitman, uh, Traction. But, mate, what are you reading right now? What, what's so, the 
I'm reading it again. So, so, so mine's a, an oldie but a goodie again. So Ray Dalio's Principles. Yes. Strongly recommend it. It's a pretty decent sized book. Um, I, I'll give you a tip. So once I read a book, I don't often read it again, right? But what I do is I do Blinkist it. Yes. And I re-listen to it over and over and over again. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I probably re-listen to the Blinkist version a dozen times a year. Wow. Okay. I'm not joking. Yeah, 20 I'm, minutes. On Blinkist, for what, 20 minutes, yeah? Yeah, 20 minutes in the drive. I've got it all. I'm reminded of it. And it just regrounds me. Yes. Ray Dalio's Principles is fantastic. I strongly recommend it to every entrepreneur if you've got the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a decent size book, though. The, the key thing that I take out of it is by having a core set of values and core set of principles to which you make your decision making, mm-hmm. it's going to guide you with all the stuff that's thrown at you. And that goes back to the very start of our conversation today. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm, um, I've decided to pick something up uh, similar, an oldie but a goodie, which was Vern Arnish Rockefeller Habits. But um, yes. I've just put down James Kerr Legacy, which talks a little bit into how the systems and structures with which the New Zealand All Blacks um, were sort of governed for nearly 15 years led them to being arguably, well, right up there with the 1990s Bulls, right? 100%. One of the most dominant sports forces in history. So that was... Um, Quite an interesting read. So, mate, I've got to add that to my list, mate. Now you're now you're giving me a book to read. (laughs) You'll you'll enjoy it too. We evolve as people, right? Um, Our norms change. Our perspectives and perceptions of our own capabilities change as we go through this journey of entrepreneurship. Um, I'm sure where you're at right now, already today, may have been bigger, maybe further than the biggest dream you had as a 16 year old. But now, as a founder of an international business, as a father of a 15 month old beautiful daughter, um, as a still a practicing uh, GP, what is Vu's BHAG? What is the big, hairy, audacious goal right now at the top of the bucket list? You know, I know some people want to list on the stock exchange, some people want to grow into all six continents, you know, but. Um, some people want to be the next unicorn, you know. Are you the, the next Nick Molinar? Are we going to see Australia's next billion-dollar business? But what's absolutely at the top of Vu's list today? Um, I, it's pretty simple, and, and I just want to explain how I get there. Um, as a GP, as a doctor, I might be able to help thousands of people every single year, which is fantastic. I love that, right? But how do, how do I potentially make a difference to people's lives at scale? And when I go back to the core of what we do at Go One, we've got a very simple way of looking at it. I'm going to quote Archimedes on this call, on this call today. I think it's Archimedes. Now, 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 forgive me, I'm not doing this quote justice because he probably said it in Greek. But um, he said something along the lines of, give me a lever big enough and I will turn the world. And for me and for us as a team, we believe that that lever is education. Mm-hmm. And the fulcrum in which you turn that lever is technology. Mm-hmm. So that big, hairy, audacious goal that, that, that I, and I know that our team do, but I, if I speak to it myself, that I definitely buy into is that the way we're going to change the world is through education. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. Mm-hmm. And that's best exhibited by if we, are, if we can bring a difference and if we can actually train and be responsible for the learning of over a billion people globally. That's the goal. Wow. I, I, I want to be able to say, look, we've touched the lives of over a billion people in this world and help them learn something. It's incredible. And if we've been able to do that, I can hang my hat on that and say I've achieved something. I've enough of an impact, yeah. Sure. 
Absolutely. I think that's important. Purpose is so important in what we do today as we get bombarded with opportunities and different things pulling us in that, those different directions. Yeah. But that sense of purpose for myself, and I know it is for my co-founders and, and our team as well, is if I, if, 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 if I change the lives of one person, great. Yes. If I can do that for a billion people, yes. that is something that we know is going to be a long-lasting legacy. Yeah, amazing. Especially when you come to that sort of philosophy that I can learn my way out of any problem. Hundred percent. Commander fish, right? And I think that's the important. We want to do that to the nth degree. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's absolutely amazing. Well, mate, I thank you for so many things. Firstly, your generosity um, with your time, with your insights. I thank you for your relentless pursuit of global greatness because it fuels every single other entrepreneur that comes into interaction with you. Because I know you breathe the same oxygen I do. I know you are supposed to sleep the same amount of hours that I do. We both have to go to the toilet, you know? So it, you're such a real person. You know, you humanize yourself so much that it gives everybody else behind you so much confidence. And I know that had it not have been for Go One and for meeting yourself and Andrew in 2018, myself and Ryan would still be flying around the country, standing on a stage or standing in a boardroom, teaching people how to sell. We have officially in 2020 become a 100% digital business. Um, we are now helping more people in more places and are more profitable and we simply wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys giving us the confidence and showing us a pathway um, of possibility. So, mate, thank you for being my first guest. Thank you so much for everything you shared. And um, I hope that we continue to see Go One um, in bright lights moving forward, um, creating a beacon of hope for the next Australian unicorn. Thank you so much, mate. And I just want to thank you for not, not just having me, but having me as your first guest. Um, I'm really excited to see what you guys will be able to do and produce. I know that it's going to be phenomenal and amazing. You're very complimentary in what you say, but we're all part of a larger ecosystem here. And what I love most is this is something that's going to be a key part of the ecosystem. So onwards and upwards for you guys as well. Absolutely. Well, mate, I know that obviously we um, have had the luxury of both being previous winners of the Business News Australia Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And um, fingers crossed the world can go back to normality so that we can share another good evening um, at the back end of this year and do so. And it's funny because as you've just said that, it's just dawned on me that on my vision board in my home office, I've actually got a Polaroid picture of you and I back from 2018. <laughs> well. So luckily, we, we were still sober at that point. So yes, that's right. I have to be able to look at the camera yeah nothing too bad about it but mate god bless you um your family uh, the go one team and um we look forward to having the opportunity to interact with you again in the not too distant future absolutely um, it's been like to anyone who hasn't entered and been part of it before uh not many people know this but andrew and i entered the very first ones back in 2009 i think it might have been or eight we were one of the so we were there i think when bevan won it the very first time and we have made sure that it's been our duty to go every single year over the last 10, 11 years. And so I'd recommend to anyone who hasn't been, who hasn't entered, do it. Because it's not about just, it's not about the recognition. That's a, that, that's the bonus. It's about the great people like yourself. There are so many relationships, partnerships and friends that I have met simply by coming there once a year. So a big shout out to the awards and Camilla and all the work that she does. But can I just recommend to people, go. Yes. Networking is so important and there's no other better opportunity. 
completely agree, mate. After our first year of going to the awards, 40% of our company's revenue came from people who were inside that room. That's right. So, yeah, the old, your network is your net worth. And the best way to be able to broaden it with high quality businesses is to put yourself in the types of environments where the founders of those businesses are going to be. And it's a ton of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Carl Brown's there drink, drinking too much and yeah, that's right. ended up trying to influence everybody onto the, onto the shorts at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, God bless you, mate. Absolute Thanks, pleasure. Mate. Thank you so much. You be safe. Thank you for having us. Cheers, dude. Thanks, mate. Bye.